We're on a series of messages entitled Understanding the Times, and this is um, actually the fourth time, but I'm still on the third in a series. <laughs> my, my third message, I didn't get finished with it last Sunday. In fact, I got, a, got about halfway through, so we just kind of put a little marker there, and I'm going to pick up where I left off last Sunday morning and, and go forward with that. Uh, I told you at the beginning of this, there are three questions that I'm wanting, uh, by the help of the Holy Spirit, to answer. Uh, Number one, what time is it? Where are we on God's time clock for the human family? Where where are we? And uh, and we dealt with that. The second question that I want to answer is, who are we? What what is our identity? I am convinced today that there is a, a real identity problem in the body of Christ. I don't believe that uh, many Christians really understand who we are in the Lord and what happened to us when we were born again and the standing that we now have in Christ and who we are in the Lord. And then third and finally, and that's future tense, we'll be dealing with what should we do now that we know what time it is and who we are in Christ. I'm reading the text that I've been using for these, several verses of Scripture I want to share with you. First of all, from Romans chapter 8, 18 and 19, Paul said, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Some translations puts this as the revelation of the sons of God. Um, Let me read it to you from the J.B. Phillips translation. In my opinion, whatever we may have to go through now is less than nothing compared to the magnificent future that God has planned for us. Can I stop there long enough to say praise the Lord? Do you realize this morning, church, that God has something so wonderful, so magnificent, as this translation puts it, for us in our future, that all the suffering that you may have had to go through in this body and in this time and in this life, it's not even worthy to be compared with what God has when he begins to reveal himself to us at this time. Let me continue to read. The whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sights of the sons of God coming into their own. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. 1 Chronicles 12, 23 and 32. These are the number of the men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingdom over to him. As the Lord had said from Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. 200 chiefs with their relatives under their command. Um, so, so, so we see here scriptures that deal with the manifestation of the children of God. And I believe this is what's going to happen in the last days, that there's going to be a revealing, a revelation, a manifestation of the children of God, sons and daughters of God. We're going to come into our own and understand who we are and, oh, how we need to do that. And like I said, we dealt with that uh, last Sunday and some even the Sunday before that, recognizing who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, if you, if you ever get this in your spirit, if you ever really fully comprehend 
who you are in the Lord Jesus and what happened to you when you were born again. You see, the real you, your spirit man, that's who you are anyway. You are a spirit. You have a soul. Your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. And you live in this body. This body is very temporary. It's going to pass away. I'm, I'm, I started to say I hate to tell you, but I'll be honest with you. For my part, I'm glad to tell you. I long, one of the things I long for is a new body. I can hardly wait. Amen. I'm as excited about having a new body as I am heaven itself. I'm going to have a new body. I've had so much trouble with this old body. I've had 14 major operations and a lot of minor operations and, and, and added on top of that. So my body's given me a lot of trouble in, in this life. And I've struggled with my health. But God's been good and faithful and brought me through everything to this very day. <laughs> and now it's getting older. And... Uh, trying to slow down a little bit sometimes. And, uh, I, I, you know, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm about 25 or 30. And when I try to act like I'm about 25 or 30, my body reminds me that, that, that I'm twice that. And, uh, and so, and so this, this body, I'm anxious for a new body. We're going to have a new body. The real me lives in this body. The real you lives in that body. The real you is going to be taken from that body after a while. That's what happens when you die. Praise God. That's victorious now that Jesus came and took the sting of death out of it. So we don't have to worry about that. Death should be no big deal for those of you who, who know the Lord. It's just, a, it's just a moving from one location to the other. Your spirit's going to leave this body, go to be in the presence of the Lord. Then God's going to give you a glorified body, like the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody excited about that? Woo, glory to God. Amen. You have a glorified body, glorified body. Amen. I can hardly wait. I'm going to be about six, seven, and, and uh, yeah, probably not. Uh, We'll know even as also we're no. I think actually what's going to happen, God's going to make all you about my height. And so <laughs> shorten you down, even this thing out. Uh, but the, the fact is we're going to have a glorified body, a body that is not bound to this earth. You know, in this earth, it, this body has to have the, the, the fundamental things of this earth. You have to have the water from this earth. You have to have the air from this atmosphere. And you have to have the food from this earth. Even when we go in space, we have to put a suit on them so they can get the oxygen from here. Uh, when they get out, you know, out in that stratosphere out there, uh, they have to have the, take the water with them and the food with them. They have to, it's earthbound. But the Lord Jesus in his glorified body just ascended right on up to heaven and went on up to the third heaven and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And one day we're going to have a glorified body that will not be bound to this earth, praise God, and will not be infected or affected whatsoever by sin, sickness, or disease. Glory to God. Woo, isn't that wonderful? Never have a headache again. Praise God. Can eat turkey and it won't hurt you. <laughs> Amen. It's, it's going to be a wonderful time. So, so we're, we're looking forward to that. If we could, if we could just realize what happens to us when we're born again? When you were born again, your spirit man was literally, this is not a metaphor that the Bible's using. This literally happened when Jesus washed your sins away 
And you, you went through the experience of the rebirth, which brought you into the family of God. You now have the DNA of God in you. You are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's not after a while when you die by and by. That's right now in the here and now. So those of you that are striving to be righteous, forget that. You don't have to strive for any of that. That's who you are. It's your spirit, man. The only, the only struggle that we have is making sure that our spirit, man, is in charge and not allowing our soul and our body to take ascendancy over that. If you'll act in your spirit, man, who you really are in Jesus Christ, then, then, then that'll take care of a lot of problems. And I, I shared to you just, by, just to illustrate that, do you realize that you're royalty this morning? That when you were born again, you became a part of the family of God. You are literally a son or a daughter of God himself. That means that Jesus Christ is your elder brother. Amen. You are part of the family of God. Jesus is your elder brother. There, there is royal blood running in your spiritual veins this morning. You are royalty. You are in the family of God. You are an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ because you're a son or daughter of God. And I see people all the time that allow born-again people that allow themselves to be caught up with all the little nitty-picking, frustrating little things of this life. And they get so upset with stuff that don't amount to a hill of beans, stuff that won't make one ounce of difference five years from now. Some of them won't make any difference five months from now. Amen? And we get so bent out of shape with stuff like that. If you would just realize who you are, that that you're a child of God, that you belong to a different kingdom, you could ignore and just forget about a lot of the stuff of this world that frustrates you. And I used to illustrate that, the Queen of England. You know, when she's riding in a, in a parade in her uh, limousine and, and uh, all of the royalty and, and all that. She, she is royalty. You know, she rides along and gives that little queenly wave. You, you know, you seen her do that? Yeah? Just ride along. <laughs> Listen, there's people in that crowd out there that may not like her. In fact, there may be some people out there saying bad things about her. Wouldn't it be ridiculous if she hollered to the chauffeur and said, stop this vehicle. Somebody badmouthed me out there. Let me out of here. And she jumped out of the, <laughs> jumped out of the limousine and ran out there in the crowd and cussed somebody out. Wouldn't that be ridiculous? She's above that. She is royalty. Amen. She's on a different line. It doesn't matter whether those people are cussing her or, or saying good things about her. It makes no difference. She is royalty. That's not going to affect her one way or the other. It's not going to change a thing. When I once discovered who I am in Christ, when I once realized what this really means and who we are in the Lord, I have determined. I have to, now, I want everybody to like me. In fact, I prefer that everybody loves me. I, I, would, I would appreciate it if you, you folks would love me. But, but I'm, I'm smart enough to know that everybody's not going to love you. And everybody's not going to like me. Everybody's not going to speak well of me all the time. 
In, in fact, uh, Jesus said, woe unto you when all men speak well of you. you know, it's, it's, it's just not going to work that way in this world. But, but I have determined if, if there's people out there cussing me this morning or saying bad things about me or whatever, praise God, I'm just going to go on through life like this. Amen. Uh, praise God. I'm a child of the King. I'm an heir to join heir with Jesus. Amen. I'm a royal priesthood, part of a holy nation. I'm in the family of God. Glory to God. Say what you want to. It doesn't matter. Ignore this crazy stuff in the world today and know that you're a part of the royal family of God and the kingdom of God. And let's go forward with the victory. Amen. Praise God. Now, we talked about that. We talked about the fact that we are, we are the glory to God, the, the, the heirs of the promise and the covenant promise that was given to Abraham. In fact, I gave you this, this uh, uh, verse. We kind of ended up with this, Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it's written, curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. Look at this, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus that we might receive the promise of the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, through faith. God made a covenant many years ago. You've got to go all the way back to the book of Genesis to find this. God made a covenant with Abraham, and he said, I'm going to bless you. And a few weeks ago, we went through all those blessings. It's a beautiful thing, about 17 points to the blessings of Abraham. But, but uh, that God said, this is an everlasting covenant that I'm making with Abraham. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless all of your descendants. And I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless those who bless you. And I'm going to make you a blessing. And, I'm, I'm gonna, and he goes on and on and on with the blessings. And, and that, that is an everlasting covenant, so that means that it's still intact today. In fact, it will never go out of vogue. It will always be intact. The blessing of Abraham. And, and we went through a couple of weeks ago, I, I shared with you the wealth of about 10 or 15 different countries and how there's just a small percentage of Jews in those countries, and yet they control a vast amount of wealth. Where do you think that comes from? That is the blessing of Abraham that's on them. They have the DNA. They have the bloodline. And that's a promise from God. It doesn't matter whether you like Jews or whether you don't like Jews. You could even hate Jews. It doesn't change a thing. The fact is they are blessed of God because of that covenant that God made way back there and said it's going to your descendants all the way down through. And so, but I told you that for them to receive, here's the way Jews uh, receive that covenant blessing. They, they receive it because of their heritage for their bloodline. It is activated by their study and hard work. What I'm saying is every Jew is not wealthy, but every Jew that applies himself or herself and studies hard and works hard is blessed of God with a special supernatural blessing and they will always excel when they apply themselves. That's the way that blessing is activated in them. But hey, we also discovered that when we were born again, this is another benefit of being born again, that when we were born again, we were born by the Holy Spirit, the blood of Jesus Christ washed our sins away, 
and our spirit man was brought into the family of God. Jesus is our elder brother, and guess what? He's a Jew. He come through the line of Abraham. So that means that when I was born again, I just read it to you in Galatians chapter 3, that, that now you and I have been brought into that blessing of Abraham. We have the blessing. If you're born again this morning, you have the blessing of Abraham on your life. It's there. You say, well, preacher, I know a lot of born again people that's not doing too well. Doesn't look to me like they're blessed. It's probably because they don't know how to activate the blessing. And here's how the blessing is activated in a Gentile who has been born again and who is now in the line to receive the blessing. We receive it different than Abraham's descendants in the flesh. We receive it through Jesus and it's activated by the Holy Spirit. It is activated by the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit is so important. And, and for several weeks now, I'm going to talk to you about, about this thing of the Holy Spirit. Last Sunday, I talked to you about the fact that the forerunner of Christ, John the Baptist, prophesied as it were. He said, he that's coming after me is mightier than I. He, I'm baptizing you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Glory to God. In fact, three times in the scriptures, Matthew, Mark, and Luke shares with you the fact that John said that Jesus wants to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. We talked about the desire of Jesus, expressed his desire. We talked about the Holy Spirit in the ministry of Christ. We saw it in his baptism. We see it in his ministry and the works he did. I shared with you on, uh, from Acts chapter 10 and verse 28 how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Jesus' ministry on this earth, what he did, he laid aside his God likeness in heaven and became a man. Now he was still very God, but he did not act as God on this earth. He acted as a man because he was very man as well as very God. He became the God man. And in his humanness, he learned to understand exactly what we feel like, exactly what we go through, every temptation that we have, every trial, every test, every heart, all of that, those things. He understood as a man on this earth. And in his ministry, he did not act through the power of God, of, of his Godhead, but he acted through the anointing of the Holy Spirit that was on his life. That's why Jesus said, the works that I do, you can do. In other words, anything that Jesus did when he was here for those three and a half years of ministry on this earth that he did, you and I can do because he was operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we have the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do the same things that he did. He said, greater works than these shall you do because I go to my Father. Jesus expressed a desire for us to have the Holy Spirit. He talked about it over and over. And I gave you a whole bunch of scriptures last Sunday morning of the desire of the Lord Jesus for you to have the Holy Spirit. So this morning, I want to talk to you for the next few minutes about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what that's all about. So here, let's, let's begin. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What, what's all that about? Let, I'm going to be very elementary here in the beginning. 
And some of you perhaps have heard me share this before, but I, but I want you to get this. This is very important. It's very fundamental to understanding the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What is this baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus talked about? To have a baptism, like I say, this is, this is an oversimplification, but I think it will help you to understand. To have a baptism, three things are required. They're necessary. For you to have a baptism, first of all, there has to be a candidate. That's somebody to be baptized. Okay, does that make sense? Very, very simple. And then there has to be an element into which you are baptized if you're going to baptize somebody. And then there has to be an agent. In other words, somebody has to do the baptizing. Let, let's, for example, let's look at water baptism. A few Sundays ago, if you were here, we have a baptistry right over here to my left and to your right, and we had a bunch of people that were baptized on, on, the, on that particular Sunday morning. And what, what we do in water baptism, let's say you're the one being baptized. You would be the candidate that comes forth with bab- for baptism, right? In water baptism, the element is water. We're going to baptize you in water. And then the third thing you have to have is the, the, the agent, somebody to do the baptizing. Now, I used to baptize everybody here. But uh, uh, in 2010, the last major surgery I had, the doctor told me after that not to ever lift anything over eight pounds. And, um, and most of the people who come forward for baptism weigh more than eight pounds. And, and so I let these guys help me, either Pastor Tony, Pastor Roger, Pastor Reagan, one, one of these guys helped. I think it was Pastor Tony the last time we had water baptism that helped us over here. So when those candidates came forth for baptism, they were the candidate, they, the people that came forward. Pastor Tony took them down into the water. That was the element in which they were baptized. And Pastor Tony was the agent that took those people and he took them down into the water and he brought them up out of the water. And that's when you do it right, when you, when you get them back up out of the water. In fact, the last time we had water baptism, he took one guy down, and, uh, and he did, it, the, the guy didn't get his head all the way under and was coming back up, and Tony, <laughs> Tony made sure he got baptized. I, I, I was watching that and uh, trying to keep a straight face watching that, but that, that boy got baptized, I'm telling you. And he brought him back up out of the water. So he was baptized in water. Does that make sense? Now, you may not know it, but there are at least five kinds of baptism that are mentioned in the scripture. I'm not going to deal with all five of them, but I've already dealt with one, which is water baptism. Let me deal with a second one, which is baptism into the body of Christ. That's what happens to you when you're born again. That's what happens to you when you're saved. Let me just refer to it as salvation, okay? In salvation, that is literally, in a spiritual sense, a baptism into the body of Christ. At least that's what the word refers to it as. In in salvation, you, again, the candidate, comes to the Lord to be saved. And when you repent of your sins, the Holy Spirit becomes the agent who takes you, the candidate, and baptizes you into the body of Christ or into the family of God. And we refer to that as a, as a spiritual baptism into the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit is very much involved in that. 
That's why, you know, some people will say, well, preacher, I don't need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I, I, I received that when, when I was saved. And I, ne- I don't argue with people about that because you have had a tremendous experience with the Holy Spirit in your salvation. There's no question about that. In fact, you could not have been saved had it not been for the work of the Holy Spirit. Can somebody say amen? No man comes to the Father except the Spirit of the Lord draws him. So it was the Holy Spirit, the agent acting in this baptism, that convinced you that Jesus was Lord and convicted you of your sins and brought you to the Lord Jesus. And the Holy Spirit literally did that work when you were born again and brought into the body of Christ. So you've had a tremendous experience with the Holy Spirit, but that's not the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus said, I want to baptize you with. Remember, John was baptizing with water, but he said, you know, Jesus has a baptism that he wants to baptize you with. So let's look at a third baptism. We looked at water baptism. We've looked at salvation baptism in the body of Christ. Now let's, at, let's look at baptism in the Holy Spirit. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit, again, you are the candidate. You come to the Lord for baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the agent in the baptism of the Holy Spirit is Jesus. Jesus said, I want to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus takes you and I, the can- you and me, the candidate, and he baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's done by Jesus himself. That's why Jesus told his disciples, it's so urgent for you that I go to the Father. In fact, if you'll recall, when, um, when Jesus was sharing with his disciples that he was about to go away, they, were, they started grieving immediately. They were just heartbroken. They said, oh, we don't, we don't want you to go. And Jesus said, wait a minute. This shouldn't be a time to grieve. This ought to be a time of joy. We ought to be rejoicing. Because he said, if I, if I don't go back to the Father, the Holy Spirit won't come. And, and, and I really desire for you to have the Holy Spirit. And so the first thing I'm going to do when I get back to the Father is pray the Father to send the Holy Spirit to you. And I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Do, do, can I say this this morning? Jesus desires for you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. How many of you, you say, preacher, if Jesus really wants something for me, then I want it. Is anybody here that if Jesus wants something for you, you, you really want it? 12 people, praise God. Okay, there's 24, 36. Yeah, there's more of you. How many, after you've thought about it a little bit, how many of you really, if Jesus wants something for you, do you want it? Do you want it? Yes, I thought so. I, I believe, I believe if you really think this thing through, everybody in here would raise their hand and say, if Jesus wants me to have it, I want it. Well, I want to tell you this morning, Jesus desires for you to have the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit. He desires for you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. He wants to do that work in your life. So, let's deal with this question. What happens when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit? What's that all about? Some people are afraid of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want to take the fear out of it for you this morning. There's nothing to be afraid of. 
Some people think that if I get baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's going to make me uh, act like, uh, you know, some kind of crazy nut and it's going to make me do things that, no, 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 no. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. Always remember that. Always remember that. The Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He's not going to force you to do what you're not willing to do. But he will, if you will yield your vessel to him, do some tremendous things in your life. And, and it's wonderful. So let's look at, first of all, one of, the, one of the principles of studying the Word of God is go to the place of first mention, and you'll learn more about it. So the first real outpouring of the Holy Spirit, let's read about that. It's found in Acts chapter 2. Remember, remember what Jesus said. Now think about this for a minute. Jesus, in that crowd that saw him ascend to heaven, there was above 500 people that saw Jesus when he ascended to heaven. And in that crowd were disciples that had been with him for three and a half years. They'd heard him preach. They, they, they'd seen his miracles. They'd even, he'd sent them out. And they had done the same kind of miracles and preached the same gospel that Jesus was preaching. And yet Jesus said to them, don't, don't, don't. Now, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But before you go, I want you to go in Jerusalem and tarry until you're endued with power from on high. Keep that in mind. Remember that. Now, here's this crowd of above 500 people that are watching Jesus. Jesus is out on, on a mountain and right outside of Bethany, and he lifts his hands and he blesses all that crowd, all 500 plus. He blesses them. And while he is blessing them, all of a sudden he, he begins to just rise from the earth. I mean, it's like he's on an elevator. He just starts going up with his hands. He's blessing all 500 of them. And, and he gets higher and higher, and, and they're watching him and watching him and watching him and watching him and watching him until, and he just kept going higher and higher and higher. And eventually, uh, he went above the clouds and disappeared completely out of their sight. And they're just standing there looking. And I, I've thought about, put yourself in that crowd, if you will, for a minute. I've thought about what would I do? I'd be doing the same thing. I'd be standing there looking. What, what next? Is he going to come back in a few minutes? What, what's going on here? And so a couple of angels appeared and spoke to them and said, you men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing up into the heavens? This same Jesus that is taken away from you into the heavens shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go away. But here's the instruction. Until he comes, you go do what he's told you to do. And so they headed back to Jerusalem. Out of the 500, 120 of them went to the upper room. I don't know where the 380 went. I'm assuming that they went home. And boy, weren't they disappointed. Can you imagine being one of the 380 after the day of Pentecost? You say, oh man, I missed that. I mean, this is a historic event. This is a phenomena that's going to be preached at 2,000 years later. We're going to be talking about it at New Hope on Sunday morning in November. Amen. And 380 of those dudes missed it. They missed it because they wanted to go home, eat some leftover turkey or whatever. <laughs> but 120 of them slipped into Jerusalem and eased up the steps to the upper room, closed the doors, and started praying and waiting for the promise of the Father. And so let me take it up from there. Acts chapter 2, the first four verses. Look at this. 
when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly, I love the suddenlies of the Bible, don't you? And suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and it one set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Wow. Wow. Glory to God. Now, let me say this. The only reason for this tarrying, you don't have to tarry today for the Holy Spirit like they did. The reason they had to tarry during that time is because God had selected the day of Pentecost for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It had been 40 days since Passover. Pentecost is 50th, 50 days after. So the day of Pentecost is 10 days away. That's why they tarried for 10 days and nights. They're waiting for that special day. Why did God wait until the day of Pentecost? I think one reason was because on the day of Pentecost, people were in Jerusalem for all, from all over the known world. People from many different nations were there. Different tongues were there. Different, I'm talking about languages. People in different languages were there. Jerusalem was filled for the Feast of Pentecost. And it was on that day that God had chosen to pour out the Holy Spirit. And when he poured out the Holy Spirit, those people who had quietly been waiting in the upper room all of a sudden kicked the door open, headed down the streets to the city of Jerusalem, speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. And people from all over the world heard them preach the marvelous things of Jesus in their own language. Praise God. And it was such a phenomenon that 3,000 people got saved that day. Oh, somebody give God praise for the outpouring of the Spirit. Glory to God. Glory to God. Wow. There are at least five outpourings of the Spirit in the book of Acts. I'm not going to deal with all five of them, but I am going to deal with a couple more. This was the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and it was accompanied with tongues. People ask me all the time, Preacher, when I get the Holy Ghost, do I have to speak in tongues? And I say, No. You don't have to. You get to. Praise God. You're going to find out. It's going to take me a couple weeks to get this all unpacked. But I'm going to tell you something. When you really realize the importance and the benefit and the blessing of tongues, you're going to want tongues. Amen? It's not going to be something you're going to be resisting. You're going to say, Lord, give it to me. I want some of that. Amen. Let, let me give you, let me give you a, the first outpouring of the Gentiles. It's over in Acts chapter 10. Before I read the scripture, let me give you the background because it's long and I'm not going to read all these verses. There was a man, a Gentile man, that lived down in Caesarea and his name was Cornelius. He was a godly man. He served God with prayers and, and with worship services in his own house. And, and, and people knew about him. His, his, he was known far and wide throughout Caesarea, not only for his diligent worship of God and his godly life, but also because God had blessed him financially and he was very generous with what God had blessed him with. He was a giver. He gave to other people. He blessed people with his giving. And so one day, Cornelius was praying in his house. And as he was praying, suddenly an angel of God appeared to him. 
Now get this, isn't this a marvelous experience? An angel appeared to him and said to him, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer. And God has also seen your almsgiving. In other words, he's, God has taken note of how generous you are and what a blessing you are to other people. And, and God has, has chosen to bless you in a wonderful way. And here's the instruction for God, from God for you to get this blessing. Send some men from your household up to the city of Joppa and find one who lives there by the name of Simon. He's a tanner, Simon the tanner. You'll, you'll be able to find him, easy to find. The shingle will be out on the door of his house, Simon the tanner. When you, when you go there, knock on the door. When they answer the door, ask to speak to Simon Peter. He's a guest there at that house. And when they introduce you to Simon Peter, invite him to come to your house. And he will give you the instruction as to what you need to go do from here. And so Cornelius does exactly what the, the angel of the Lord instructs him to do. He gives a couple of his servants and he sends them up to Joppa. They find the house of Simon the Tanner, knock on the door. They come to the door and he said, we're, we, we're inquiring of one Simon Peter. Is there anybody here by that name? Now, on the other side of this, God works on both sides of the equation, brother. Tony shared a while ago how God can work on both sides. I, I love that testimony, great testimony. And, and here's what God was doing. While all this was going on with Cornelius and while these servants are headed from Caesarea to Joppa, Simon Peter is waiting on lunch. They're preparing a meal for him and the other guests that were there. And Simon Peter goes up on the roof of the house. They had flat roofs in those days and, and, and the roof sort of acted like a, a, a deck would be to our houses today, kind of a place to relax. And, and so Simon Peter's sitting out there relaxing, meditating on the things of God. And all of a sudden God takes him by vision and begins to reveal things to him. And he sees this huge sheet come down out of heaven. And on this sheet, I don't know, maybe some angels were carrying the sheet. I don't know. It doesn't say. But on this sheet were all kinds of animals. And many of them were unclean animals, unclean by the law for consumption. You understand what I'm saying? And, uh, and a voice comes to Simon Peter and says, Simon, rise, slay, and eat. And Simon backs off quickly. He says, whoa, whoa, nothing unclean has ever entered my mouth. I've, I've never eaten any of them un, un, those unclean animals. I, I just, well, it was done a couple of times to, to, for emphasis. And then the voice speaks to him and says, Simon, there's some people at the door looking for you and you go with them. And don't doubt anything. You, you just go with them, and I'll show you what to do. But he, he, he's got this vision in his mind, what, what's God trying to tell him? And sure enough, there's somebody knocking at the door, and he goes with them down to Cornelius' house. When he gets to Cornelius' house, um, when he walks in the door and they introduce him, this is Simon Peter. We found him up in Joppa, and he's here to share with us a, a, a message from God. And Cornelius and others just fall down on their knees before him and, 
And Simon immediately stops that. He said, no, 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 no. We, we don't worship men. We worship God. How many know that's good information right there? Amen. You, you know, give God praise for that. Yeah. We, we don't worship man. We worship God. And so he, he stands up and he said, you know, what, what I need to do. And Simon Peter starts preaching. And Simon Peter preaches to them Jesus and their hearts are open to receive Jesus. And he continued to preach. And this is where the, uh, look at Acts chapter 10, verses 44 and 45. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. And here's how they knew it. How did they know that the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. These Jews, they thought it was just for them. They had no idea. How many of you are thankful that it's for us too? Amen? Yes, praise God. Holy Spirit's for us. And here's how they knew. Verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. That's how they knew that they'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me give you another outpouring from Ephesus chapter 20 of Acts, the first five verses. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we've not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Remember I talked to you about water baptism a while ago? Then I talked to you about baptism into Christ? Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Glory to God. Wow. 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 They spoke with tongues. What's that all about? I am so glad you asked. <laughs> Let me preface this next point by saying to you that your heavenly father is a verbal God. What I mean by that, your heavenly father likes to talk. And he talks a lot. In fact, when God made man and when God made you, all of you, all of us, when God made us, part of the reason and maybe the main reason that God made us is because he wanted a family and he wanted to love you like a father and he wanted to, you to respond to him like a son and a daughter. Now, how many of you understand this? It's one thing to talk, but it's another thing to communicate. And communication goes both ways. God is not only a verbal God, but God wants you to respond to him. Now, let me, let me illustrate. How many of you remember when your first child was born? You heard that? Isn't that an amazing experience when your child is born? I tell young couples, and there may be some of you in here that, that, that have heard this from me, when, when they're expecting their first child, I, I especially tell dads this. 
You know, sometimes when you have your first baby, all families around, crowds around, everybody, don't get so caught up in the crowd that you miss the moment. There is something unique. One of the unique experiences in life is when you see your child for the first time. Anybody, anybody remember that? First time. And I tell dads, don't, don't, don't let people, don't let people cause you to miss this. Don't let all, all you, 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 you just, you get into that moment when you look at your child for the very first time, relish that moment and try to record that in your mind so you can remember that experience. It's one of the unique experiences in life when you look at your child for the first time. Several things happen. Number one, how many of you know that that child doesn't have to do a thing to capture your love? Not a thing. It, it's just there. It's just automatic. It, it's, just, it, it's just there. there. There is a love that's unexplainable when, when you see that child. Now, here's what happens after that. You, you take that child home, and it's just an infant for heaven's sakes. But you already start talking to that child. And you, you start immediately trying to get that child to say something back to you. And, 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 and you'll, all, you'll almost hear say, things that, that aren't there because, you know, your child, smartest child that's ever lived, you know, four days old. And, if, and, he, and he said, Daddy, you know, <laughs> that, that, the real smart kids, that's what they do. The first thing they say is, Daddy. I know you ladies are saying, mama. But you, you get so excited when they finally do make that first syllable, whatever it is, and, it, and, it's, and it's intelligible, that you get so excited, you tell everybody. You know, you start calling the relatives. You, gotta, you call, you, if you've got relatives in California, you call them. And some of you probably hold the phone right over to the baby to see, see if you can get them to say it again. You, you know, Junior just spoke, you know, just said something. Good night. We're so excited about what they say. Listen, your heavenly father wants to commune with you in the same way. He doesn't just want you to hear what he has to say. He wants you to say something to him. Glory to God. And in fact, God has a special language that you can commune with him in that nobody else understands, not even the devil. Praise God. Somebody give him praise today. Praise the Lord. Well, let, let, let me show you what a, what a verbal God that we have. Uh, look at the very first chapter of the Bible. The very first verse of the Bible. Here's how your Bible starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the earth, or the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, do you see that? Verse 3, then God said, say that with me. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, I'm not going to read all these verses to you, but I want to tell you that verse 6 says, and God said. Verse 9 says, and God says. Verse 11 says, and God said. Verse 14 said, and says, and God said. Verse 20 says, and God said. Verse 26 says, and God said. Verse 29 says, and God said. Do you get the idea that maybe God's got something to say? Folk, this is just the first chapter of the Bible. And already over and over and over and over again, 
And God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. God has something to say. He is a verbal God. He wants to speak. Now, God is not only speaking to you, but God needs you, if you're going to worship him, to worship him audibly. Now, I know you can pray a silent prayer, and I know that God already knows what you're thinking, but God likes verbal praise. I'm going to show you from the scriptures. Let me show you what's happening in Revelation chapter 4, 8 in heaven. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes round about and within. And they do not rest day or night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Can I give you some more scriptures about verbal praise? Psalms 34, 1 to 4. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be upon my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in thee, Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. Chapter 7, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and I will sing praise to the Lord. Chapter 8, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants thou hast ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Psalms 9, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to you, Most High. Psalms 18, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The Lord lives. Oh, blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. Psalms 28, blessed be the Lord because he has heard the voice of my supplication. Psalms 35, I will give you thanks in the great assembly. I will praise you among the people. And my tongue shall speak of your righteousness and your praise all the day long. I'm going to stop here. But I could go for about the next 15 or 20 minutes just through the book of Psalms showing you that God desires to be praised, audibly praised. You know what God wants? He wants your tongue. Turn to your neighbor and say, God wants your tongue. Do you know why God wants your tongue? How many of you know as a parent you want to spare your children? all the heartache and pain that you can. Isn't that a natural desire? You, you want to you keep them from having to suffer? <laughs> well, that's why God wants your tongue. Because your trouble is in your mouth. Turn back to your neighbor again and say, our trouble is in our mouth. <laughs> that's where it is. You don't believe me? Let me give you scripture. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat the fruit of it. You see, if God gets your tongue, then God's got you. That's it. If God can just get that little tongue. Now listen to these verses very carefully. I'm, I'm going to read an extended length here, verses 3 to 10 from James chapter 3. James said, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. 
Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, or just like, the tongue is a little member, but it boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it devours the whole body, sets on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed <laughs> and has been tamed by mankind. Look at verse 8. But no man can tame the tongue. No man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil. It's full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God, our Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and cursing. My brother, these things ought not to be. James said it ought not to be this way, but your, your tongue, you can't control your tongue. So we have a problem, and it is a major problem. And it's causing us trouble, and it's calling a, causing us heartache, and it's causing us pain, and it's our tongue. That's why God wants your tongue. And that's why when God baptizes you with the Holy Spirit, he takes charge of your tongue. Praise God. Because now you're going to have a power greater than your own strength to control that tongue. Glory to God. <laughs> Woo, glory. I wish it wasn't 1231. It's time for me to stop. And I'm not even, I, I'm not even as far as I got in the first service. What happened here? Um, I, I got to stop, but I got to figure out how to bring this to a close here. Let me, I'm going to take up here next week. I'm, I'm going to, next Sunday, I, I want, by the help and the grace of the Lord, I want to show you the power of this tongue for good. And the reason you're going to want the gift of the Holy Spirit with the accompaniment of tongues, because it's very vital and it's very important, and the Lord wants you to have it. Amen? Will, will you stand with me, please? I'm, I'm not going to hold you past the normal time that we get out. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop. But I want you to know there's some good things ahead. It, remember, remember it's, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we Gentiles activate the blessings of Abraham on our lives. And we're going to see all those gifts and wonderful things that we have in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come quickly, please. We want to give you an opportunity to pray if you want to pray. If you're unsaved, I want to encourage you to come and give your heart to Jesus this morning. If you're sick in body, I want to invite you to come and let us lay hands on you and believe God for your healing. If you've got a financial problem, a need of any kind, I want to encourage you to come this morning and let's believe God together to meet your need. Amen? By the way, if you want the Holy Spirit today, I'll tell you next week how to receive the Holy Spirit. But you don't have to wait. You can come and ask the Father this morning. It's a gift from God. You can come and receive the Holy Spirit today. 
You can be baptized in the Holy Spirit before you leave this morning, right here in this service. Amen? So the altar is open. If you have a need, I encourage you to come and pray. Maybe you want to just find a place and pray, just you and God, for the next few minutes. But before you leave, if you have a need, would you come? The altar is open. God blesses you. Respond.